Coming up on this week's podcast. Providence. God is providing this woman, Rahab, with an extraordinary, supernatural way of being saved. There is no reason in the world why this woman should be saved, but that this 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 decision, this mission of espionage turns out to be a mission to save this woman. Hear more during this week's message on our series of Joshua. Coming up after this. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. New Hope Chapel is located in Arnold, Maryland. You can find us on the web at www.newhopechapel.org. Now here's Justin Hibbard with today's message. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome um, to New Hope Chapel. It's great to have you all here. Thanks for being here on this beautiful weekend and Labor Day weekend as well. And uh, we are on week two of a six-week series on Joshua and Triumphant Transition. This is a a unique um, time for us as Pastor Gary moves on to uh, pastor the church in California. And actually, I I just want to pray for him because today is um, is his... insulation service there. So we want to pray for him and Mary Lou as well. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning that you have for us. Lord, you have ordained this morning to be a a morning of praise and worship and a gathering together. And God, we want to exalt you this morning, make your name known among the nations. Lord, we thank you for Gary and Mary Lou, their ministry here for so long and and their ministry in so many places and so many different times in their lives. And so, Lord, we pray for them as they uh, have a special time of insulation there in um, California. We pray for the congregation there. We ask, Lord, that you would move in their hearts to accept Gary and Mary Lou, and not only to create a church for them to minister in, but also to create a home that they can call their place, their home. Lord, may you minister through the congregation to Gary and Mary Lou, and may you be a blessing through Gary and Mary Lou to the congregation. And Lord, we pray for our church because we know you have exciting things for us. We pray for the things that are ahead. Lord, we ask that you would move in them and that you would make them yours. Lord, we, um, we give this morning to you. I ask, Lord, that the words that I speak would come from you. And if there are any words that are not from you, Lord, that you would strike those from our hearts and our minds this morning. That there would be no distraction, but Lord, only what you have for us. May it consume our lives. May it be our business. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week we talked about Joshua chapter 1, and we're in our our series on triumph and transition in Joshua. And I should probably mention about these cameras. Um, This is kind of a new thing for us. We've we've done our podcast for a while, and Chuck, actually, we've talked even about doing video and maybe even, I don't know, doing some late channel you know, one of those cable access channels late at night, you know. Who knows, maybe you'll see New Hope Chapel at 3 in the morning if you're up that late and you can't sleep. I don't know. But um, at, at the very least, we're exploring the idea of having um, vodcasts, video uh, podcasts. And so Chuck uh, came up with the idea, and, and I said, oh, you know, I have a camera, and we have some equipment. And so hopefully, you know, we'll see how it works out. I, I hope I don't have to start wearing makeup, that's all. So <laughs> there, I might draw the line there. Anyway, so if you recall, last week we talked about Joshua chapter 1. And Joshua chapter 1 is about the calling that God places on Joshua at, at the death 
or after the death of Moses. Remember that Joshua was about 96 years old when he was called to lead Israel across the Jordan River. And we said that God gave specific commands to Joshua and specific promises throughout this endeavor. And in, jo- and in Joshua chapter 1, we looked at three specific commands and three specific promises. One of those commands was that he asked Joshua to lead the people across the Jordan. And he said to Joshua, he said, I will give you every place that you step your foot there on, in the promised land. And we said that was a promise of physical provision that God was giving to Joshua. And secondly, he said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be afraid. And he said the promise is, is that no one will be able to stand up against you. And that is a promise of emotional security. The third command that God gives Joshua is a command that says, obey my law. Obey my words. Do everything I command you. Meditate on my law day and night. Do not turn from it from the left or to the right. But in all things, follow me and obey me. And he says, I will be with you wherever you go. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. We said that was a promise of spiritual blessing. And all three of these are talked about, in a sense, specifically to Joshua, but we can apply these things in different areas of our lives as well. It's important for us to do the things that God says. It's important for us to not be afraid to follow the Lord. It's important for us to meditate on the precepts of the Lord and to meditate on his word and on his law. And those blessings apply for us as well. He provides for us. He provides emotional security for us. We can trust in him. And lastly, he provides himself for us. He is indwelling in us through the Holy Spirit. And then we also said that a unique uh, gift or command or, or promise that Joshua gives to the people of Israel is to rest. He promises them that on the other side of the Jordan, there is rest for them. That they've been wandering and toiling for so long but you know what? There is a promise to come when one day they will, they will build their dwellings there in the promised land and they don't have to worry about fighting. They don't have to worry about wandering aimlessly, but that God will give them rest. And we looked at a few tribes that actually had been given land on the other side of the Jordan River. And, and Joshua says to them, even though you have your land, even though you have your land, we want you to fight with your brothers because we're part of this community together. So it's important that just as you have rest, that you provide rest for your brothers and sisters. And it's a reminder for us as a church that we are a community. And as a community, it's important for us to work together and pitch in in different ways so that people can have rest. And in the end, we look forward to a day uh, when maybe some of the kinks get worked out and so forth, and, and we're resting more than we're working, although we still will be working. But the work that God calls us to is a work of rest as we wait for on this side of eternity. Today we're taking a look at Joshua chapter 2. And the story of Rahab, as Carlene mentioned, it is a story of redemption. It is a story of redemption. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. If you don't, it'll be on the screen here as we go through it. Joshua 2, it says this, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman 
had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out, set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did in Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. The men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us, unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from this oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Well, what an interesting story this is in the book of Joshua. Remember in Joshua 1, God said, in three days you will send the people across the Jordan River. You will lead them across. And here it is, right away, Joshua sends out spies into the land of Jericho. Now the question is, why does God send out spies? You may say to yourself, well, there's really no need. Maybe Joshua lacks faith because, because God told him that every place he set foot would be given to him. So why is he questioning God here by sending out spies? And the reason is, is because Joshua is an expert in espionage. And what he is doing is he is doing the skill, the craft that God has given to him. Remember, 40 years prior to this, Joshua was a spy himself and sent with Caleb and 10 others to spy out the land of Jericho. 
In that case, Moses tells us in Numbers, he tells us exactly what he's looking for. He wants the spies to tell them about the land, the people there, the type of soil, the city, all of those things. But in this case, we don't know any of that. All we know is that Joshua sends out spies into that land. And it's a reminder to us that we are not to squander God's promises by acting haphazardly, but that we should use our skill and act skillfully in whatever it is that we do. I think especially in ministries as well. You know, we may know, you know, maybe we have this vision that God will bring this community to faith. Maybe, maybe that he will bring in, he, he just bring flocks of kids on Saturday the 18th when we have the kids carnival. But it's good to know that we have people like Christina and many of the other women who are helping her in planning this out skillfully, planning it out carefully, because that's what God calls us to do. He doesn't say to Joshua, every man you send into battle will be saved. He never makes that promise to Joshua. So Joshua is careful because he wants to make sure that all his men are cared for. So perhaps Joshua is sending out spies to find out where the secret hiding places of the city are. Maybe if there's a stash of weapons somewhere, if there's an escape route. We don't know. We can only speculate. But we, knew, we do know that Joshua is using his skill to carefully go about taking the land that God has given him. You know, I've been on a lot of different worship teams throughout my life in kind of a long extended period of time, as well as short retreats and conferences and things like that. And one of the things I've often heard is uh, people will say, it doesn't have to be perfect because it's for the Lord. And so oftentimes there is kind of a, uh, a lack of practice and, and really striving to make it really good and, and kind of walk away saying, well, it doesn't have to be perfect, right? It's for the Lord. Um, I, I appreciate Bill Ingram because he holds me accountable with uh, musicianship, like today when, when Chris said, is this a 4-4 four, four song or a 2-4 song? And I was like, why are you asking me? I don't know. And, uh, but Bill is one who, who has a He just knows music very well. And one thing he, I remember him saying to me was, he said, you know, if it's for the Lord, shouldn't it be the very best? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we strive to make it really good? Shouldn't we, why should we offer him something that's haphazard and mediocre if we know it's haphazard and mediocre? Now, if it's the best that we can do, that's one thing. But the fact, if we, if we go about it in a haphazard way and just, oh, we're just going to kind of throw it out there. Well, that's not bringing the best to the Lord. And if we look at all of the commands that God gives to Israel, when does he say, just bring me whatever sacrifice you have, right? What does he say? He says, bring me a male sheep and make sure it's perfect. Make sure there's not a blemish on it. Make sure it's the best because I'm the best. And I require the best. And that's something for us. You know, there, there, it's something to be said about doing our very best. You know, we may not do things perfectly. I don't think we can. But we certainly can strive to do things for the Lord that are our very best. To put our very best effort forward. I feel like when we don't, we are slighting the Lord. We're giving him less than what we should be giving him. And it doesn't just apply for ministry inside the church. It applies, it applies to our jobs outside of the church. You know, people are looking at us. People are watching the way that we act, watching the way we interact with people, watching our work ethic. And if we're people that show up late to work and do a haphazard job at work and, and gossip about other people, what are they going to think? Are they going to think, I want that, that person's attitude? No, they're not going to think that. They're going to think, I don't want anything to do with that person because they have a sloppy work, work ethic. Um, there was a, a good friend of mine in college, we had a group, um, 
at the college I went to was a kind of a spiritual small group. And the guy who was leading us, he was um, sort of an employee uh, for, the, for the school. He worked in the sound uh, system room. He's a musician and so forth. And um, he, was, he was, had a wonderful heart for the Lord. But, you know, one of the things I remember him saying to us one time, he was like, you know, I don't have an alarm clock. And we would stay at his house like 2, 3 in the morning praying together and worshiping. And to think this guy had to get up the next morning and go to work, we were like, you should go to bed. And he said, he told us one time, he said, I don't have an alarm clock. The Holy Spirit is my alarm clock. And we're like, okay. And we're like, that's great. That's great. The Holy Spirit wakes you up. I mean, he's, he's nice and loud. Sometimes we hit the snooze button, don't we? And we, I, I mean, I'm one that just hit the snooze, 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 you know. And that he, unfortunately, he hit the snooze on the Holy Spirit too many times. And he got fired. And I thought, what a shame for this guy who was trying to be an example, trying to be a witness here at this community. And, and what does that say if he can't even come to work on time and put a good work ethic forward? There's a great quote here by William Backus who says this, For Christians, work is a calling from God. This call is not simply a divine command to get out of bed and go to work. It is a call and an empowerment for God's people to represent him in relationships with others. I have four lessons today from Joshua chapter 2, and here's the first one. Lesson number one, Christians are called to excellence. That in whatever work for whatever employer, we are never to do it haphazardly or to a standard of mediocrity. Instead, we ought to do it, the work as unto the Lord. Not for your boss as unto the Lord. Those around should be impressed by our attitudes and actions as we emulate our Lord Jesus. Who was it? Francis of Assisi who said, at all times preach the gospel and if necessary use words. In other words, we're always being a witness of what God is doing in our lives. There's another thing that is going on here in the book of Joshua. And, and one of the neat things is here these spies come into, into Jericho. And they are, uh, and, and they're wandering around, you know, and they're probably looking for a place to stay. And, and they decide to go to Rahab's house. I don't know why they decided to go to Rahab's house. Maybe they thought, where's the one place we could go where it's not awkward to see strangers entering this house and maybe it was this house of ill repute it was this uh this prostitute's house and so they go there and we don't know exactly what what they're saying we don't know what what they ask rahab all we know is she hides them and it's not like they're they're asking so rahab tell us about the city we maybe they did we don't know all we do know is that rahab does the talking doesn't she They don't say anything to her. She just says, here's the deal. And what does she say to them? She says, I know, in verse 9, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. How in the world did Rahab get that information? It's not like Jericho is a God-fearing nation, a God-fearing city. It's not like they had sent missionaries into Jericho to evangelize the people and say, Repent, because in three days we will destroy this land, right? They didn't say that. Here, here, here Rahab knows something, and those spies are, how in the world does she know this? I know that God has given you this land, and I know another thing. I know theology. I know that your God is God of heaven above and the earth below. You know, I was really thinking about this, and, I, and you know, it started making sense to me. Because, as many of you know, I'm a Calvinist. 
And so I'm not, I'm unapologetic when it comes to predestination and the doctrine of predestination. And I really believe that God goes before the people that bring his word. God goes before the people that bring his word. When you evangelize to somebody, it's not like it's cold. God has been working on their heart. Maybe they don't realize it, but he's been tugging at them. He's been whispering in their ears. He has been priming them for that moment. You know, if you notice, when a lot of people, when you hear people's conversion stories, you hear about this crisis time, this thing that they're, 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 they're struggling with an idea, they're struggling with a circumstance. And I believe sometimes God is speaking right through that struggle. And so when they hear the gospel, they say, that's what I've been looking for all along. Lesson number two this morning is this. The Holy Spirit is already actively at work in the hearts of those we witness to. He is whispering in their ears, priming their hearts to hear the gospel, the good news. And here Rahab, he's been working. I don't know if he gave her a dream, if he gave her an insight, whatever it was, but that the Holy Spirit was revealing this stuff to Rahab before time. So when the spies come into the land, when they come and they hide, and Rahab goes up to the, to the roof and said, guys, here's the deal. I know this land is yours. I know that God has given you this land, and I know that he is the God of heaven and of earth. They didn't even have to say anything. They were probably like, okay, we agree. <laughs> but there's another thing she says. She says, a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and on the earth below. She tells them two specific events in the lives of Israel, in the, in the people of Israel, and, and identifies their power from these events. What's, what's absolutely mind-blowing from these events is that these spies were not there during those events, right? She talks about the crossing of the Red Sea, which happened how many years ago? 40 years ago. And those spies were not there during the crossing of the Red Sea. They might have said, oh yeah, I remember my mom and dad telling me about that. But they were not there. Rahab is citing events from 40 years ago. 40 years ago. Can you imagine that? Here you go. You imagine like talking to someone about, oh yeah, this is what... And then someone says, 40 years ago, I remember when that happened. 40 years ago, I remember that. The reputation of Israel had been so, it had been spreading like wildfire. That there were these, these uh, epic stories that rose up in the, in, the lot, in, in the minds and ears of everyone in Canaan. And they were afraid. They were afraid of this people that had been wandering down in the Sinai. And they thought, maybe one day, these people are going to come and get us. Maybe one day. Here's this legend of these people. They're, they're huge. And they're wandering in the Sinai. They cross the Red Sea. Who knows what will happen? You know, 
And then she talks about the destruction of Sion and Og, two kings of the Amorites. That's a story we find in Numbers, where the, where the Israel asked to pass through their cities, and they said no, and God said destroy them. And, he took, and they took them down. They utterly wiped them out. And so, and so these stories, these stories are, are, are just flooding the ears, flooding the hearts, and just melting them uh, of the people of Jericho. Wow. That's amazing. And they were, they, it wasn't about size. You know, we talked last week, I mentioned that there are critics that said that the people of uh, Israel at that time were one million in size. One million. That's enormous. And it's not like that's, the, that's not the thing she brings up. I know that you guys are many. She doesn't say that. She says, I know what happened at the Red Sea, and I know what happened in Simon and Og years ago, and we are afraid of you. God has a way that when his work goes out, he has a way of kind of letting his reputation spread. Think about it. Have you ever heard of churches that are doing some awesome things in the community? Right? You can think about them, whether they're miles away or cities away, whatever. We know of these places because the Lord blesses the work. He lets that reputation spread. He says, here's a place that's doing my work. Here's, here's what's going on. Here's, here's what you should know. Here is the work of God. Lesson three this morning is that God allows his reputation and the reputation of those faithfully doing his work to flourish. A church doing God's work need not worry about advertising. I just find it miraculous. You know, you think of some of these churches that are, that are uh, growing and doing some awesome work. And they haven't even put out advertising and say, here's what we're doing at our church, blah, blah, blah. It just has a way that people know what's going on in that church because they've seen lives changed. And they've seen the work that's going on and just has a way of spreading around word of mouth from one ear to the other. We were reminded of this at our leadership team meeting when um, Carl brought the passage 1 Corinthians 3 for us as our devotional. And it says that Paul planted the, the seed, Paulus watered it, but it was God who made it grow. And we talked about that. It, you know, you can't force people to go to church. You can't force people to accept Christ. But what you can do is to do the work and do it faithfully. And the more that we do God's work faithfully, the more it is blessed. It is God's prerogative to make things grow. That is his working. And that is a reminder for us. And that's, that's what happens here in Israel, is that the reputation preceded them before they even got into the promised land. You know, what's really interesting about this passage is I've been racking my brain now for a few weeks on this. Why in the world did Joshua send spies? Why in the world, and what did it accomplish? We don't know anything, military-wise, that this accomplished. We don't know if they brought back any important information, other than they said, we know the Lord gave you this land, because everyone's afraid of you. That's what the spies report back to Joshua. They don't say, here's the technique we're going to take to attack the land or anything like that. It just says, this is what we know. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. But there was one outcome. There was one thing that this, this espionage mission did, and that was it, it provided the salvation for Rahab and her family. That's the only thing we know this thing did. The only thing. The only outcome this had that we can think of. You know, what, a, what an interesting thing if you think about it. 
And if you think about the things, the progress of the procession of what happened, Joshua was, uh, if we think about it, I think of four different things. First of all, I think God revealed himself and his plan to Rahab, right? That's the first thing that happened. God raised up this man named Joshua, and he taught him how to be a spy. And then he, he urged him to send out two spies, maybe put that idea in his head. And then God moved the spies to go to Rahab's house. And the fourth thing that happened is that, is that God moved in the hearts of the spies to provide a way of salvation for Rahab. And I think, of myself, I think to myself, God had been planning Rahab's salvation from the very beginning. God had been thinking, you know what? I want this, this woman, Rahab, as part of my family. And you know, and, and, and maybe we would say to God, well, God, there's an easy way to do that. Just make her a, a Jewish woman. Have her born into the Israelite family. And God, but God said, no, I think I'm going to do this a little bit differently. I think I'm going to plant this woman in the land of Jericho. And I, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking I'm going to conquer that land and destroy that land. But before I do that, I'm going to send out a couple of spies I'm going to train up a spy and have him send out a couple of spies into that land. I'm going to move them to go to this woman's house and provide a way for her and her family to be saved. Providence. God is providing this woman, Rahab, with an extraordinary, supernatural way of being saved. There is no reason in the world why this woman should be saved, but that this, 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 this decision, this mission of espionage turns out to be a mission to save this woman. That's exciting to hear. Because if you think about it, God oftentimes, he does that in our lives. You can think about how you came to know the Lord and how all these circumstances seem to have lined up. I hear some of these stories and they're just absolutely mind-boggling. And you think about it, God had been working that plan from the very beginning. He put you in the right place at the right time. He put them in the right place at the right time. So that when all of this came together, he had a plan that you might be saved. I believe that it is God's prerogative to save. Revelation tells us, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and unto, his, and unto the Lamb. But yet we have a process, we have a responsibility, we have a, a mission to spread the gospel to the world, to teach those people because we never know what God has set up and who God will save it reminds me of this passage in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 says, Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins, accordance with the riches of God's grace, uh, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In other words, he had this plan for this woman named Rahab. And he said, you know what? I have a plan for Rahab. And not only do I have a plan for Rahab to be saved from Israel, but I've got a better plan for her. I'd like her to have a very unique spot in history. I'd like her to be an ancestor to King David. And not only an ancestor to King David, but an ancestor to Jesus, 
the Messiah. An ancestor to me in the flesh is what God's saying. I want this woman for that task. And you know what? God set up four women that are very much, three other women that are very much like Rahab. There are five women listed in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew. And if you think about it, there is no reason in the world why a woman would be listed in Jesus' genealogy. It was so unconventional to put women in a, in a, in a genealogy in ancient times, but Matthew does it. And you've got to think when people are reading Matthew's gospel after he wrote it, they're thinking, why are these people listed in here? But who does he list? First of all, he lists Tamar, right? He lists Rahab, he lists Ruth, and he lists Boaz, or Boaz, Bathsheba. <laughs> Ruth was married to Boaz. But anyways, these four women. And these four women have something in common. Number one, they're all Gentiles. Now, that's the other thing that's very unique. Because we think, why are these Gentile women, let alone why are there women listed in, geneal- in Jesus' genealogy? Why are there Gentile women listed in gene- Jesus' genealogy? And then something else. All four of these women have sort of some sort of sexual mark against them. Tamar dressed up like a prostitute and seduced her father-in-law, Judah, to have a baby. We talked about Rahab. Ruth, it says, this is controversial, I know. Ruth, it says that she laid down at the feet of Boaz, who would yet become her kinsman redeemer. And while we could say, well, there was nothing bad that happened, we do know the next morning that Boaz is very concerned and has Ruth kind of hush out and leave disguise before anyone could realize that she had spent the night with her, with him. In, in the story of Bathsheba, a very famous story, Bathsheba has an affair with King David, and King David sends her husband onto the front lines of war. All of these women, we might say, could be, could be considered by the Jewish people to be of the lowest, to be prostitutes and to dress like prostitutes and seduce father-in-laws. This is wicked stuff that's going on here, let alone they're Gentiles. But God has a plan to redeem them. God has a purpose for their lives. And like Carlene said, you know, we we come to the Lord and we're totally stained. And to think that, that God has some purpose is unbelievable and mind blowing because we could all say to God, couldn't we? We could all say, I'm just, I'm not worthy, Lord. There's, God does not ask for our resumes before we come to him. He does not ask us what our credentials are, what schooling we've gone to, what experience we have. He doesn't ask us to be perfect when we come to him. But he says, come to me. Come to me. Redemption is found in me. Grace is given to me. So that when we look at these four women and all of the awful things that they had done or may have done, we see God's grace in his hand in each and every one of them. I want to play this movie clip real quick. It's an encouragement to me and hopefully an encouragement to you about uh, who it is exactly the Lord called. Think God can't use you? Think he only uses perfectly qualified people? Take a closer look. Moses was not a great speaker. Jonah ran from God. Jacob was a liar. Noah got drunk. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair. Jeremiah was depressed. 
a lot. Solomon was rich in wisdom, but poor in lifestyle. John the Baptist was just plain poor. Timothy was too young. Abraham was too old. Lazarus was dead. Sarah was barren. Naomi was a widow. Gideon and Thomas both doubted, and so did Sarah. Peter lacked self-control. James and John were self-righteous. Paul had a short fuse. Well, so did Peter and Moses. Actually, lots of people did. God's army isn't perfect. It never has been. It's the march of the unqualified. Get in line. What a neat reminder to us that God's uh, army, uh, they're not made of perfect people. We're all imperfect. We all fall short of the glory of God. In every, even when we try to do the right things, we often fail. We just fall short. But it's God's grace that provides us the, the means and the, and the possibility to be part of that army, that army for the Lord, the march of the unqualified, right? And if you think about Rahab, what an, a tremendous story. I was talking with Steve early about it. You think about it. Rahab was the, the, mother in, the mother-in-law of Ruth. I think I got that right. The mother-in-law of Ruth, the mother of Boaz. And Rahab, here's this woman who has this past. And I can imagine her conversation with Boaz over time and saying, here's where I was. And, and, and you know what? The Lord, the Lord gave me a way of salvation. The Lord brought me here in this place. The Lord provided for me. The Lord turned me from a person of iniquity into a person of promise. And here Boaz has an opportunity. He sees this beggar pulling, pulling wheat from the field. A Gentile woman as well. A woman who had lost her husband had lost everything, lost her home. And here she was wandering. And Boaz's heart was moved to compassion. I have to think because maybe his mom had something to do with it. And, and there he reached out to Ruth and provided a place for her and provided a heart for her. We never know what God will do. We just never know. But I think there's, there's two important lessons. Number one, we should never say to the Lord, I'm not worthy. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not qualified enough. Because we know, you just saw the list of people who have made, made it into Scripture. They were not qualified enough. And we should never look at somebody else and say, that person could never come to the Lord because they're not qualified enough. We never know who the Lord calls. We never know of the possibility of the way the Holy Spirit is working in the lives of the people around us. We never know what the Holy Spirit is doing before we even talk to someone. It is a reminder that grace is greater than all of our sins. Amen? Amen. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, worship pastor of New Hope Chapel. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing and an encouragement to you. Our church, New Hope Chapel, is located in Arnold, Maryland, just outside of Annapolis. So if you're ever in the area, please stop by and visit us. We'd love to have you. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org. God bless.